To kill. Period. Why would you watch every movie your dad did? Why are you pushing me? I knew there was something about that guy. Uh, the best thing to do in a podcast because nobody saw me shrug. Walked around the corner and there's Dennehy fucking grinding up coffee. You got anywhere to eat around here? I just fell out of the helicopter in the first 10 seconds of the show. Because he was my dad. Teasel's very Ahab. Singing again, rookie biatch. See, by the time he got to Cocoon, he was a total walrus. Hey. Broadcasting live from inside the power band, this is The Blah. In this episode... Everybody dies via the hand of John Rambo. I'm your host, Rambo Reen, along with my <laughs> cohorts, John Higo. Yo. And Chad Bo. Hey. I can do better than that. <laughs> Forever. Ram, Ram Chad, Ram. Ram a rhythm, Ram Ram Lab forever. <laughs> God, talk about a crash and burn, Jesus! You just fell out of the helicopter, bro. I did just, <laughs> I just fell out of the helicopter in the first ten seconds of the show. Egregious. That's right, folks. We're going to be talking about the 1982 absolute classic, First Blood, and it's First Blood, not First Blood Rambo. Yeah, damn it. I have seen that in subsequent years since this film came out, is they sort of tack the Rambo onto the end of it to let everybody know that it's attached to the franchise, even though this is the best film in the franchise. No doubt. So this was a listener request, and it's, uh, again, another sly movie. I feel like we've done 800 of them in the last five minutes, but um, this is an excellent movie, a favorite of mine for sure, and I'm sure Jarhigo. I can't speak for algorithm. No, you can't. And I won't. C-Lab, is this a favorite of yours? I don't think I had ever seen this. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I thought I had, but if I had, I forgot it so thoroughly that I don't believe that I had. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Fascinating. Fascinating, Captain. I believe I had only ever seen this once before this this viewing. Wow. Yeah. Well, when I was watching these movies, it wasn't really like... It's kind of a serious movie, you know what I mean? So when I was a kid, I wasn't like watching this over and over again. Like I might have been watching Commando, let's say, or even Rambo 2 or something like that, where it's just more like over the top action. This is like kind of sad, really. I mean, you know, yeah, I think I just kind of tucked it away after seeing it once and then just kind of never got around to it again. Interesting. I think uh, this movie for me was a pretty big deal. We, even though like when Rambo came out, that sort of like upped the ante. And like you said, Ben, it was over the top action. And we were, we probably watched that a zillion million times, but this one as well, even though I didn't really understand it as a kid, just the, firstly, the knife, secondly, the, the survival skills in the woods, you know, we were always in the woods playing war and, you know, sharpening sticks and pretending to make horrible homemade traps that would, you know, debilitate and injure people. So we were, you know, into this movie for sure. But I I will say that watching it now as an adult, I think, I don't know, I probably watched it a couple of years ago, but certainly the the couple of viewings I did this week, like it's a very not an action movie, like not an over the top action movie for sure. It's it's like you said, it's very sad and dark. What about you, Chad? Um, I I think I'd always known that it wasn't quite as like hardcore actiony as like a Commando. Um, mm. and as I've mentioned before, I I wasn't really like mm, uh, hardcore sly 
fan. Yes. Because he was my dad. And, um, you know, he's. <laughs> yeah, right. Why would you watch every movie your dad did? It's kind of weird. Exactly. He's, that is kind of weird. Yeah. It, it's just, you know, it's just kind of weird. So I didn't watch my dad's movies. I watched, you know, Arnie movies. I think it's not a hardcore action movie. I saw a really, really interesting YouTube video on Predator recently that I'll share. Um, by this dude, Patrick H. Willems, who makes some really weird but interesting videos. And he was basically saying that, like, Predator is the best genre mashup of all time, and he was arguing that it was a mashup of um, slasher films and action films. And, like, halfway through the movie, it shifts gears. And so, like, Hmm. it isn't the same thing, but it kind of, because it was something I'd watched recently, I found it really interesting how, you know, it starts off as, like, a Survivor-style kind of slasher film in the sense that like rambo is is the predator and he's hunting cops in the woods but he doesn't kill them but then it shifts into full action mode and so like it was just kind of an interesting it was it had an interesting tonal shift in the movie that i enjoyed so it was i guess in a way it was kind of surprising that i enjoyed it as much as i did because i had just assumed it was just you know a rambo movie so i i kind of thought it was going to be a bit more of a vanilla actiony kind of thing but uh yeah, it was it was enjoyable for sure. Very. I suppose another um, thought that I had about this being that this was the first time I'd really seen it is the timing with which I'm watching it. So like, I don't really want to go crazily deep into it, but I thought it was interesting to watch a film about like police power structures, considering how crazy the current environment is. And oh my god, yeah. And I had a lot of sympathy for for Rambo just trying to like fucking get a bite to eat and like make his way north you know (laughs) and like how quickly it devolved into a complete shit show oh my god yeah i agree with you it's funny like people today are definitely more apt to speak up to police officers i kept waiting for him to say what are you arresting me for you can't arrest me for that like you know what i mean it's i don't know it was weird just a different time i guess and you know, yeah, tying yeah. into the Vietnam War thing where they were, you know, weak. And from the perspective of the right, they were weak and they lost the war. And from the perspective of the left, they're baby killers. Like it's there's a it's kind of a, a lose lose, you know, like it's a it's a really oh, absolutely weird and interesting moment in our history that I was too young to have direct experience with. But it would have been like our parents who would have lived through a lot of those kind of situations and stuff. So it's just kind of a interesting snapshot in time, I suppose. Oh, very much so. Very much so. I, I so much thought of this as an action movie as a kid. And, and this is not it, it is a film. And it is a really good film with, you know, really serious messages and tones. And the action complements that. Whereas a lot of the subsequent Rambo films and other action films, a lot of Schwarzenegger's films, like it's the action is the main thing. You know, this is really the action is the the sort of the backdrop. It's like the trimmings around, you know, the main through line. At least for the first two acts, yeah. Well, yeah, but even it, it, the action is pushing the story, you know, of him being sort of wronged and everything that he experienced in Vietnam, like that whole line that that is still being pushed forward by the action. I think even in the end, almost more so, you know. Yeah. Because he's a mess. I mean, this is a, a guy who's a vet and he's a mess and he's seen a lot of horrible things, you know, and everybody's just treating him like shit. Yeah. You get any thoughts on any of this stuff, Benny? I don't. I don't really have a lot for this because not really a ton. A ton happens. I could give a quick synopsis. Yeah, synopsis would be would be uh, would be useful. It's pretty straightforward. So sure. 
So uh, decorated Vietnam veteran John Rambo is walking the land much uh, like Kung Fu or <laughs> totally Bruce Banner uh, with a with a duffel bag. He goes to see an old uh, you know squad mate. Uh, presumably, he is just uh, fresh home. He goes to see his squad mate. Finds out that his squad mate has died, has died of cancer. So he's just sort of wandering about and in, uh, in uh, the Pacific Northwest. And he shows up at a town uh, in a town where the uh, local sheriff decides to just take a dislike to him and give him a bunch of trouble. He ends up in jail briefly, escapes more or less, uh, has one of like perhaps the record holding five star GTA wanted level for uh, <laughs> the majority of the movie. Totally. And uh, it, totally. it sort of culminates in a, a very emotional moment between uh, him and his uh, superior officer. Yeah, that's great. Nice synopsis. Yes. Let's switch it up this time. My first note is that the score is excellent. Let's talk about that for a second mm. instead of waiting to talk about it later. Because sometimes we end up skipping the music. And yeah. mm. the score is it's certainly iconic, but even more so in this film because it's the first film. You know, Jerry Goldsmith is a Hollywood legend. He's iconic. His scores, he actually scored, this is a great nugget that uh, I should wait for the nugget section, but I'll throw it out right now. He scored the Universal Pictures and I think the Paramount, either one or the other or both, uh, the opening title music, for those two movie studios that ran from like the seventies to like 2012. All right. He composed that he's composed total recall, LA confidential, this, every single Rambo movie, just a slew of films that I'm not going to list, but his scores are so iconic. And this one, you know, the music, even though the very notes that he uses in the composition are just fantastic. Like, the parts when Rambo's walking down the road and we hear the sort of the the lone sad stranger theme, you know, from Rambo and, you know, it just fits perfectly with what's going on on the screen. And then, you know, when we switch to like the cliff and the woods and all of that and there's all that really cool like low end piano going on, it's just, it's, it's perfect. It perfectly accentuates what's going on in the screen. So, it, you know, it's one of those instances we've talked about scores in the past where it perfectly complements what is happening on the screen. Yeah, sure. No, I mean, I kept thinking there's like a specific uh, piece that plays like kind of during the action sequences. And I kept thinking to myself, this sounds like somebody took a Slayer song and played it with like an orchestra. <laughs> nice. <laughs> there's like one particular one that's just like really funny. And every time I heard it after that, I just kept thinking about it with like searing, like high saturation, you know, distorted guitars, <laughs> like double kick drums and shit. <laughs> wow. Uh I would actually love to see a cut of this film with that theoretical score. Yeah, you should do a remix over dude. it. Yeah, that would yeah. be sick. That'd be interesting. I'll just whip that right up. Don't worry. Take five yeah, minutes. Yeah, you know, in your spare time. <laughs> I think uh, I ended up way more in on the motorcycle that you previously were riding on, Benny. Um, in quite a few episodes, you mentioned like not recalling the score which probably was a good thing you know most notably uh you mentioned it in the blade runner 2049 episode yeah 
So like I I definitely recognize the main song that kind of came up with you know various reprises throughout the different Rambo movies, but other than that, like I just kind of fell into the film and and I, I imagine the score was quite good. And I'd have to revisit it, but I, I definitely based on the pedigree you just rattled off there, Kev. Obviously, the dude knows what he's doing. So yeah, he's really really great, and this score is just excellent, man. I definitely think jumping around a bit would make a lot of sense. I don't have a ton of notes. I've got maybe three or four and they're not really plot related. They're more story related. Ben, what do you have? Like, do you, did you kind of want to go through it chronologically or? I'm game for anything, man. It's, I watched it like one and a half times and um, just kind of came to the realization. I'm like, well, not a lot of, not a whole hell of a lot happens here. You know, I mean. True, true. So I didn't really, I just was like, all right, I'm just going to Zen on this one. I, I kind of, uh, you know, Kev, I figured you would be like, you would have very specific things you want to talk about on this one. So, <laughs> <laughs> To be fair, I kind of figured you would you would have enough canon out right. there for me to just sort of riff off of. Uh, I'm with it. I'm with as, you. as my own experience would prove. Yeah. I just, you know, the, the main thing was like, it kind of made me sad. Like, it, it just felt really oh, yeah. bad for. Yeah. I really felt bad for Sly. And um, same, you know. It just struck me that way this time around. So it was even getting through the action sequences and such was, you know, like, I don't know. I just, I just was looking at it through a different lens, you know. I was like, well, this guy is just like in. Absolutely. You know, he's just in survival mode, you know. Like, it's not like mm. it's not like a revenge story or anything like that. It's like he's just like fighting for his. He feels like he's fighting for his life. Just wants to be left alone. Yeah. Yeah. I had a a note about that sort of. I'm glad you brought that up. Same. Because I, one of the notes I had, Ben, was him and Teasel, they both make a war out of it, was what I was picking up as I was watching it last night. Like, in the sense that, like, Rambo starts having flashbacks, obviously, to POW experiences in Nam and goes into survival mode, but also combat mode. You know what I mean? Like, I yeah. feel like it's both. And I feel like the distinction's important because, you know, he just starts going through the motions, man, of waging war on this guy. And then subsequently, pretty much everybody in the region. And Teasel just won't let it go from minute two. And so he's determined to take this guy down. That, that was my thought. Yeah. Was that they, bo- they both just kind of made this war. You know, what do you, what do you think? Definitely. But I mean, I think, you know, <clears throat> look, Teasel's just a prick, you know, clearly he's just a prick. He didn't like the look of, you know, Rambo. He didn't want him in his mm-hmm. town and, uh, you know, he, he didn't listen. So he decided he was going to give him a super hard time. Um, yeah, I think in, in Rambo's case, it's like, you know, it's pretty clear, like everything that, that happens to him in the police station, you know, they like, they, they like fucking shower him with a with a fire hose and they're like you know they're trying to get him to comply with all these different things and then they want to shave him and he has he starts having all these flashbacks about being a prisoner of war so you know i think that like that post-traumatic stress disorder is what motivates rambo to escape it's like he just cannot handle being in captivity you know what i mean Mm. um it's not like a it's not the same thing as like teasel just just being like a power mad, you know, local cop piece of shit, you know? Um, 
So yeah, they both it both they both escalate it for certain. But I feel like you know, I mean, the worst that would have happened if Teasel had just let it go is you know Rambo would have stayed in the woods like hunting and you know hiding in that cave. <laughs> yeah, it's not like he would have been like out killing hunters and stuff. You know, like because you know they're getting too close to his turf or whatever. Like that wouldn't have happened. He would have just like you know stayed out there in survival mode or maybe eventually moved on to another town or something. Yeah, almost certainly he would have just kept going at some stage, regrouped for a little while, and then found his way out of that valley or whatever. And, you know, these these soldiers move can move, you know, 50-plus miles in a 24-hour period via, like, in rough terrain. You know, like, they're trained for that type of thing, you know, so. Yeah. But uh, I, I definitely want to, like, come back to where you just left it, but I, I do want to propose that, would it be outrageous to say that they could have de-escalated the whole thing and the movie could have been avoided altogether had they just sprinkled him with powdered sugar after spraying him with the hose? <laughs> <laughs> the lice hate the sugar. <laughs> it's delicious. It's delicious. <laughs> oh, man. I was tempted to throw in a Super Troopers reference earlier, but... <laughs> I mean, I just had to take the opportunity. Hey, man, you know what? We're all about levity here, Chad. So anytime you want to you know, inject some levity, I think we've learned from our darker episodes. <laughs> they were so depressing that the three of us all needed therapy at the end of the episode yeah. that we need to have that, le- that levity in there. That's it. So good on you, mate. Yeah, this, this movie definitely has the uh, tendency to be dark so uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah and by tendency jarhigo means the whole thing all 93 minutes circling back though to the teasel versus rambo thing um one of my nuggets that is really more appropriate for right now is teasel in his office behind his desk has a a case with three medals in it, like military medals, and it implies that. Nice um, eye. Well, I I didn't find. I I read this. I didn't see it, but um, he's got a silver star, a purple heart, and a, a distinguished service cross. Um, and so evidently, it's like showing that he's a really decorated Korean war hero, and the subtext of the book is different war tactics from different wars. And so, like through that lens, I I actually don't really like the the interaction between those two characters i much prefer teasel's just a prick and doesn't understand what rambo has gone through the way that they treated it in the film a lot more and and you know the escalation because they're both war heroes thing i think is just like i'm glad they kind of changed that around if that makes sense yes um my comment on that would be it would have been interesting to see an alternate with that motivation, I'm glad that they went with it the way that they did. But I could very easily see if you just added in almost one small, simple scene explaining that he was in Korea, blah, blah, blah. You know, it, it would have been interesting. I think it was more interesting to keep the conflict from a social point of view and more focused on Vietnam rather than the difference between two soldiers and fighting tactics. But mm. that's an interesting little positation there. Mm. Yeah, they don't mention anything, but you can see in in uh, 
I keep wanting to say Cheezle. <laughs> hey, Mr. Cheezle. <laughs> in Teasel's office, there's like a, you can see a few medals. You can see like a purple heart and a couple other medals. But um, I'm pretty sure nothing else is explained there. No, I think I think it's from the books, but I've never read yeah. the book. So. Books. That's well, It's almost like they were planning on including it by putting that in his office, but which I thought was weird. I mean, you'd think a you would think a fellow soldier would have a hell of a lot more empathy, you know? You, yeah, exactly, exactly. Or at least understanding that uh, he's been through some shit and leave him alone, regardless of empathy. <laughs> like just fucking yeah, yeah, whatever. At but. the very least, yeah, at the very least. But it's interesting in terms of you saying like, you know, why have the medals there if they didn't go there? Because there was that um, interview with Sly on Howard Stern that I shared a video with where he was just saying like the first cut of the movie he fucking hated so much that he tried to buy the the, the negatives to burn them. I'm not sure if you guys watched the video or not, but... I watched it like three times, actually. Yeah, cool. Not only that, I cannot talk about this film without referencing that story. It's that important. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think... My opinion. But my, anyway, go ahead. My two cents on that one is like having not read the book and having not seen the original cut, which no one's really seen, regardless of whether it was good or bad, the in the books, evidently, Rambo is like a hardcore, cold-blooded killer and fucking kills everybody. So it's a very, very different story in the sense that, like, in the film, he's trying not to kill people and just trying to be left alone and get out of this thing. Like, you know, the... And doesn't kill anybody in this movie. Exactly. The body count of the whole fucking movie is one. It's, it's Galt who falls out of the helicopter, you know? So... Right. Um, right, so, you know, that's an accident. Exactly. Like, but if you imagine the whole movie is him just murdering people, like, it's a totally different movie, you know? So... Oh, my God. No doubt. It's... Uh, I'm glad that they didn't go all the way with the original book story. And maybe this is a great example of elevating the source material, but uh, the Howard Stern interview was quite interesting. The Howard Stern interview was... I, I've never heard that. And it's it's funny. I did some reading on Wiki last night about this, and that is actually referenced in the Wikipedia article, was that that story. In short, not, not the way he explained it. You know, one of the differences being, like, in the Wiki article, they were like, Stallone was approached with the script. And when you hear him tell it in the Stern interview, he's like, dude, they went through everybody in Hollywood, including Zippy the Monkey. Then they were like, oh, let's see if Sly wants to do it. You know, like nobody wanted to do the movie. Right. I kind of feel like that's definitely like your memory changes over time kind of thing. <laughs> well, sure. <laughs> but but you know, you know, it's, yeah. I don't know, whatever. Anyway, the main thing about the point that he made in the Stern interview is, and this is something I've been thinking about over the last week or two. You know, we've done a couple of Arnold films. We've done now a lot of Sly films. You know, there are two action icons of the 80s. And that, doing what he did. So just for the folks at home that don't know, what happened was the original cut of the film was three to three and a half hours long. Stallone and his manager saw it and they thought it was terrible. It would kill his career. Uh, they were retching in the alleyway next to the movie theater. They wanted to buy the negatives and burn them. And then his idea was to cut out nearly all of his dialogue. And as he explains it in the interview, make it more like a Greek chorus thing where the people surrounding him in the story are doing the revealing about him. And that makes him more of a kind of man of few words 
and really, well, firstly, cuts the film from three hours down to 93 minutes. And then secondly, just turns it into an incredible film because we don't need to see, you know, him speaking. So much information about Rambo is revealed in exactly that way by other people. And his actions speak very loudly because of that, because of his, you know, lack of dialogue. And I really think that that's brilliant. And I also think that it really shows, I've mentioned this in other episodes, like as weird as over the top was, you know, Sly is a creative person. He's an actor, he's a writer, he's a director, and he's really good. And I feel like the action movies that he made that were popular, I said this before, I'll say it again, sort of overshadow like the real talent that's there sometimes. And like, that was his idea. And that made this movie a brilliant film. Mm. Like this is an excellent movie. So for me, when I heard that Stern interview, it just, it was total game changer. Like it just made me love the movie even more and him even more. I was like, wow, that is really awesome. Like seeing the first cut and realizing that it would just be a disaster and a potential career killer. And then saying, let's just take all my dialogue out and see what happens. Like that, mm. that's just, how can we fix this? Yeah. It's so smart. I just love it. And I think he's great like that. You know, uh, I did a little more reading on him and, you know, writing Rocky and that whole thing. Like he's, he's a real creative force. And, and, and this is sort of one of my other notes was cause I was thinking about, you know, uh, Stallone versus Schwarzenegger. And it's like, he, you know, Arnold is great, but Arnold is really a bodybuilder that wanted to become a movie star. Stallone was always an actor first and a creator first, you know, then, you know, as, as we went through the eighties and he did more action movies, he, he got more kind of pumped up, but you know, that's, that's sort of the difference between the two of them, man, not, not taking anything away from either of them, but Stallone is definitely like the, the, the true artist, I think out of, out of the pair. And, you know, just in terms of like, you know, bodybuilding and muscles and action movies, like when you watch this movie, like Stallone is really pretty lean in this movie, man. He's not like, you know, huge like he is in a lot of his, you know, subsequent films. So I don't know. It was just interesting couple of things that uh, were banging around in my head as I was going through all this material. I wonder what that original version is like. <laughs> oh, my God. I would love to see it. You know, I mean... The, the results of, of what they did turned out good, but I just wonder what the previous version was like. Like, I just wonder if, you know, like Sly was just off his game and he was hating his performance or if there was just way too much, you know, shitty dialogue or, you know, like bad writing or what the story was. But I'd be curious to see uh, what that what that was or what it was that was so sickening about it. Yeah. At uh, one stage in the interview, I'll link to it in the show notes. It's only like five minutes long. But uh, at one stage, Howard Stern's like, give me an example. And he's like, oh, you know when I'm not going to do a slide. But he's like, you know when he's walking down the down the road in the beginning and Teasel stops and says, what are you doing? He says, have you seen Easy Rider? Well, I'm Easy Walker. I'm walking. It's just like cringeworthy writing Ooh, and stuff. It's just like, all okay. right. Yeah, all right, all right. I'm glad you cut that shit out. And the whole thing with the owl, too. Yeah. Yeah. So there's like yeah like a, um the the scene in the film where he kills a pig and eats a pig was in the uh, taken from the book it was an owl and so what did he say in the interview I can't remember Kev well I don't know if it, they switched it to the pig but in the, he just said that he was always pontificating in the original cut you know like talking like to himself saying and stuff. yeah just talking all the time and 
and like he says that he sees a mouse um, get snatched up by an owl, and he says something to the effect of, uh, "I'm gonna kill you, you mouse eating motherfucker," or you know something like that. Yeah, just really weird shit. He, he was, yeah, he was like, "This is just it's too much," and I think. <laughs> and I think that kind of brutal. I mean, it's funny, but it's also like taking the film. I mean, this is the brilliance of Stallone. You know, is kind of what I was saying is that taking all of that out of there, that brutality and all of that stuff, he totally switched the focus of the story. You know, that was you know originated in the book to you know the man and the emotion, and it's what really makes it brilliant. And elevates it, you know, and I, I just, I can't stress enough how, how uh, brilliant I think that is. To circle back to, we were kind of talking about the Teasel versus Rambo thing early days when they're in the police station and stuff. And one of the interesting thoughts that came to mind quite early in the film for me was the sunk cost fallacy and just how, like, it was a great example because these cops, like, obviously want to get Rambo for busting out after they, you know, beat him up and stuff. But, like, it gets to a point where you're just like, we're in way over our fucking heads. We should probably just walk away. But they're just like, nah, we're going to fucking keep going. Yeah, especially Teasel. Yeah, Teasel's very ahab yeah, exactly. And and for for whatever reason, Rambo is his white whale. Yeah, I, it's, wow, I never thought of that. I don't I don't know why he hates him so much and why he wants to go after him so bad. You know, I, I know uh, who's the deputy that falls out of the helicopter? Art Galt. Galt. So uh, apparently, he and Galt were good buddies or whatever. But you know, that seems to be the only motivating factor for going after him. And the dude fell out of the helicopter because the fucking helicopter like you know the pilot like flinched when you know rambo threw a rock at it like it wasn't like a direct kill i think that the galt thing ben was pouring a giant 50 gallon drum of gasoline on a fire that was already there you know like that's what just took it to the stratosphere for teasel yeah i kind of got like the power trip not in my town bullshit was the source of the fire that was kind of my take on it Source, yeah. I'm just I'm saying the Galt incident just yeah, you know it's like pouring a big yeah. drum of gas on it, right? Yeah, I guess it's that uh, you know it's like Teasel is not used to getting any pushback at all. So you know, as soon as someone has any kind of like different agenda than doing exactly what he prescribes. It's like, oh, no, 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 that'll never do, you know? And that, yeah, I, I guess that is what sort of starts the uh, the brush fire, as it were, and, and just escalates. Yeah. It's interesting how quickly it escalates, too. I, I thought that the, you know, running into the woods and some of the rookie cops uh, not being overly stoked about what was happening and then the old guys being like, nah, 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 we'll get them. Like, that was interesting and kind of as expected, but, like, the helicopter and the ravine kind of stuff was super, like, oh, shit, this is, like, quite a sequence here. And that was a – it really kicked it off. You know, I think I think saying that that's when the barrel of fuel got poured onto the fire is, is a great descriptor because that was a pretty intense scene, man. You know, like, without bringing the actual movie cliffhanger into this, like, that was pretty – Pretty powerful, like him hanging off the side of a cliff and fucking a helicopter and the dude with a rifle and the fact that it wasn't all the cops trying to kill him, but it was just the one dude, Galt, not listening to orders and just fucking shooting anyways. Mm-hmm. Like it really kind of set mm-hmm. the tone quite firmly and quite quickly. Well, there's a ton going on in that scene. Like it's, it is intense. 
when he lets go and like drops down through all those trees and then he like tears his arm open on that one branch like i got like the the heebie-jeebies <laughs> same like, I, I swear i have had a similar injury when i was like a little kid running around playing war not that i jumped off a cliff or anything but you know somehow i got like you know, a pretty good gash from getting poked by like a, like a stick, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> it's just like, I was like, Oh, I could feel that like pain again. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> that practical effect to him bleeding and stitching himself up was really impressive as well. It was cause you could see the blood kind of. Yeah. Heartbeat pouring just out. Running out as he was sewing his, his arm up. Yeah. I totally made a mental note about that. Yeah. Did you guys uh, happen upon the info, I think it might have been in a, there's a commentary that I didn't have time to listen to, but um, there were a couple nuggets from it. One was that uh, when Sly did that falling through the tree stunt, he actually cracked a rib on that bottom branch. And so he's like, I didn't have to act that scream at the end. <laughs> no, you can see it. It's actually before he hits the arm, he hits his rib and it's like very pronounced. Like you see him like eat shit really react to it yeah because you can tell like i i I didn't know that chad but when i watched it i was like oh man he just broke his rib right there not not like not for real i didn't know he did it for real but i was like that i thought he was sort of simulating that you know acting as it were but that's an interesting little tidbit Mm. that's one way to get a good performance out of sly that's it break (laughs) some ribs throw him off a cliff man hey No, there's just there's a lot going on in that scene, you know. It's it is the sort of the turning point where it goes from like, you know, okay, you're just this grubby dude, whatever, to it's World War Three. He's he's climbing down the cliff, Galt is in the helicopter, the rest of the gang is up on the cliff, he jumps, and I mean it is really a really high distance, like a very deep gorge. I mean, you really can see it when when he jumps and the camera pulls back and you just see, I mean, he's hanging in the air for like ever. And then he starts hitting the tree branches, you know, like it's, it's intense, man. It's really intense. At first being like my first viewing at first, I thought they were going to go with the Western trope of him jumping and like magically landing in the really, really, really deep river. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I liked how it went to him trying to climb down and then getting kind of stuck and then it's like four or more shots before he decides to jump. He's like, either I'm jumping or I'm fucking getting shot. And so like it really set the stakes quite well as well. Oh, absolutely, man. And you really get to see like, I mean, you really get to see what a bastard Galt is mm. right there. Because he's he's about to he's line. He's seeing red for sure. Yeah, he's about to line it up for the kill shot. And it's funny and it's really dark at the same time. The way he delivers the last line is... He turns to the helicopter pilot and he's like, if you don't keep this thing steady, I swear to God. And that's all he says. <laughs> it's like, I mean, the look in his eye is like, he's going to turn the rifle and shoot the pilot in the face, man. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's just like, yeah, that good luck landing the uh, helicopter there, Galt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's 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 scary, man. Mm. Yeah, Jack Starrett, man. But that really sets the scene like. Yes, yes, yes. Galt falls out after Stallone throws the rock. And, like, I don't want to go super play-by-play, but, like, I think this one scene in particular is really interesting in the sense that, like, there's a lot going on, and then it ends with him trying to surrender with the other cops up at the top of the cliff, you know, just being like, I don't want to fucking, you know, this doesn't need to be a thing. Like, let me just fucking walk away, guys. And it it's just interesting how, how Teasel, at that moment, kind of sunk cost. He's just like, nah, I'm going to get this fucker. 
It's like, dude, you got one of your dudes at the bottom of a ravine dead. Like, that's a big fucking deal. You know, one of your colleagues is dead. Mm. Like, you would think it would it would have them, you know, being like, oh, shit, this is a, we need to call in for reinforcements or we need help or whatever. But he's just like, no, nah, no, nah, we're going to go into full hunting mode. What's the worst that could happen? Well, that was, that was sort of the interesting thing because the information about Rambo comes, they, they, that they search for comes back as they're at the bottom of the gorge and they're looking at Galt's body. And Teasel is just like enraged, man. And then, you know, that's the the point where you see the kind of the half, at least, you know, a couple of the deputies are like, you know, wait a minute, dude. Like, I don't know, man. You know, and, and Caruso, David Caruso, this is one of his first movies. Yeah. <laughs> He's the one that's like, I knew there was something about that guy. <laughs> that line, <Yeah>. man. <laughs> I want to be his buddy. Like, I think if it was up to Mitch, that's Caruso's character, I think he would have run off and like hung out with Rambo in the woods because he was super into him. I think he thought he was so cool. Yeah, he'd be like, teach me, master. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I want to learn your ways. But at the same time, like I think Mitch's, uh, Mitch's reaction throughout the whole thing, including in the opening scene where they're trying to fingerprint him, like Mitch sees that Rambo's being a pain in the ass but also doesn't want to like – break the rules and beat the guy up. And like, he's the only one amongst the whole fucking bunch with any sort of sense of what the hell's actually going on. <laughs> just ignore or or him decency. Throughout. Yeah. 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 He, or he, he's the one that's like, Hey, you know, come on this way. Like he's, he's just, he's treating him like a human being. You know, I, I always, that always jumped out at me about that particular character. And yet he still goes along for the ride pretty much throughout. Well, I mean, you know, he is a deputy in the sheriff's department. So it's like, I mean, they could have written his character in a different direction, but I don't think the character was large enough to warrant that. And plus, you know, it was sort of based off the book anyway. Oh, it's like job site mentality. He was the fucking new guy. It's like, just shut up and do what you're told, new guy. Yeah, go get go get the coffee, dude. Yeah, exactly. Stop trying to reinvent the wheel, rookie. Sing it again, rookie biatch. <laughs> so going back to the beginning of the film for a second, when he walks to Del Marbury's house, right, you know, I always glossed over that part because I was like, I can't wait to see the action, man. You know, my my little kid self, whatever. But now as as an adult, like I think the Delmar's mom scene is way more important. And I could even argue that they didn't give it enough in the film because you could argue, and we've we've sort of touched on the flashbacks and all of that stuff was, you know, important for him kind of freaking out and, you know, running out of the police station and kind of starting this war. But, you know, if you notice the way Sly plays it in the beginning of the film, when he's talking to Delmar's mother, he's, he's very, um, he's very calm. He's very, I can't, my words are escaping me here. Um, jump in if you can help me out at any point. He, you know, the way he's speaking to her, he's like, Oh, you know, this is, uh, I'm a friend of, Delmars and we were in the war together. Like he's re- he's really excited to find his friend. Mm, you he's know, like searching for a connection. Exactly, and he's he's. I don't want to. I want to say in a good mood, but that's so not describes what I'm really trying to convey here. But like the way he's speaking to her, you know, he's like, oh, you know, I got all this chunk in my pocket. You know, I never find anything. He's like, I got a picture of Delmar here. And, and he's like, you know, and that's this Danforth and that's Krakauer. And there's, there's uh, Delmar in the back. He's so big. We had to put him in the back. Otherwise, you know, he, and he's talking like that. And, mm-hmm. you know, when he, when she tells him that, 
the cancer got him and ate him alive. I started coming up with this thought that that is the tipping point in the film. Like, this is the last guy in his unit, right? And, like, I almost feel like when she tells him that he died of cancer, that was the tipping point that set the rest off. Because he seemed not, like, super happy, like, skipping down the road in the beginning of the movie, but, like, he was happier when he was going there to discover his friend. And then when he finds out that the guy is dead, it's like, that's the last guy in his unit that was alive. And now he's truly alone. And then when we see that we cut to the next scene and he's walking down the road, like he looks like he's lost. Like, yeah, exactly, dude, exactly. So, so my thought and my, what I'm positing is that the Delmar scene, the reveal of him being eaten by cancer is the tipping point in the film that sends him down that path. Not necessarily the flashbacks in the situation with Teasel and the situation in the police station, like that is only serving to pour more kerosene on the fire as it were. Mm. That That is completely reasonable, I think. And, you know, the way Delmar's mother handles it, like she's really cold towards him, you know, like mm. one, one would think that like, you know, you'd be happy to see like a friend of somebody that you lost or, or something along those lines, but she's just sort of like, you know, it takes him like an inordinate amount of time for, you know, like he's like trying to like, put all these connections together to describe, you know, his, you know, his relationship with Delmar and, you know, like she's just like not saying anything, you know, until, so, you know, that, that says something there too. Like, you know, it's like she shares the attitude about the war and, and, you know, sort of blaming the people that were fighting the war instead of the people who actually started it kind of, you know, scenario that was going on then. Yeah. So, well, that was often a sentiment of the black community back then was that it was a white man's war. And, you know, that's that's certainly referenced in a number of Vietnam films. So that was sort of where I thought she was coming from. Right. Is that what you're saying? No, really. I was just saying that it was perpetuating the sentiment that, you know, people were were blaming the people that, you know, like people might have protested wars since then, but they typically don't like go after the veterans of the wars. You know what I mean? They're not, they're not going after the fighters and, and in Vietnam, people were actually going after the, the, the poor soldiers that were fighting in the war, you know, despite the fact that they had nothing to do with starting it. So that, that was more what I was referring to, but I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure what you said also was a factor, you know, I was kind of confused by that scene at first, just because like it's the opening scene. And so you kind of don't really know where the story's going. And so I hadn't really thought about it, but you know, my impression similar to yours, Ben, is like, I just kind of got the like, she's just like, fuck you. It's like, fuck the man, you know, fuck the government for, for, for taking my son away from me and fuck you for the part you played Rambo kind of thing where like she was lashing out and he just happened to catch some splash damage of, of just lashing out with the fact that her baby's taken away. Yeah. As opposed to anything, you know, maybe a little bit more political but um one of the things that i really enjoyed about that scene was sly fumbling through his words and saying like oh he was so big we had to put him at the back was like a great setup for her being like the cancer ate him away i could pick him up off the bed he was so frail yeah yes wow you you start with the like oh he's this big hulking dude and then she's just like he was he was nothing and it, it just so quickly turns your perception of, of him and it immediately makes it crystal clear just how much suffering happened. And so I, I really enjoyed that bit of writing. Yeah. Yeah, I did too. And I think that's why I, I sort of threw in that um, I 
think they could have made that scene a little bit more somehow to give it a little more punch maybe. Mm. Um, because I really think the more I think about it, the more I think that that is the tipping point in the film. Yeah. Which I like because it's right in the beginning. Mm. It's really well done, but yeah, it, it's almost as if you, you would miss the importance of the scene if you just weren't, you know, looking at it with the right eyes. Yeah. It's a good point. I think, you know, when you said that it should have been expanded, Kev, I immediately shrugged, and that's not the best thing to do in a podcast because nobody saw me shrug. But um, no, we didn't, Chad. <laughs> that's so crazy. I didn't see that. But I kind of, I kind of like that it isn't more thoroughly explained. I don't think you were saying that it should have been over-explained by any means. But like, no, I kind, I kind of think that you, you know, whether you pick up on it or not isn't critical because if you appreciate the film you're probably going to watch it more than once and the fact that you pick it up later is a nice additional contextual layer i guess Mm, it's almost like an easter egg in plain sight yeah in a way in a way i do really resonate with what you were saying though with it being the catalyst for for or the tipping point because it really sets him up to be lost and in the first interaction with teasel where if I remember correctly, he's like, where are you going? And Rambo's just like, I don't know. And so like it further cements that that feeling of being lost. And Teasel pushes him and he's just like, I don't know. I'm going to fucking Seattle. You know, like he, he doesn't care where he's going. He just – you kind of get the feeling that he like walked away from his buddy's house and just like kept walking Forrest Gump style. You know what I mean? Because he's lost. Exactly, man. Like you said. Mm. In the background, they were playing – <laughs> exactly <laughs> dr david banner dr john rambo you wouldn't like me when i'm angry uh, <laughs> wow there's a lot going on right there ben uh dr rambo i think now would be a good time for you to get angry that's my secret cap i'm always angry right uh feeling me or did i just die a horrible death man no no i am right with you man (laughs) no you're not dead dude i'm just thinking about how cool it would be for sly to be the hulk sly is dr john rambo the hulk i don't need to explain it there there are a lot of a lot of parallels there man banner shows up in a town like you know with the best of intentions and you know Chaos always ensues, and the next thing you know, he's walking away from, you know, to the next town with his duffel bag all, you know, all forlorn. I know. It's really scary when you have a rapport. <laughs> Actually, I feel like the locus of the TV show, just to digress for a quick second, was that he always had a reporter chasing him. It's like- yes. <laughs> <laughs> Is this the Lou Ferrigno Hulk? I don't know why it was never the yeah. military. It was always, you know, a reporter. Right. It's like, ooh, I got to watch out. There's reporters around. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. They've got a scoop and they're hot on my trail. I got to get Exactly. <laughs> no, I mean, it's just, it's it's kind of unbelievable the, the amount of like parallels there are between the Lou Ferrigno uh, Hulk series and this movie. <laughs> I, I'm with you, man. There's a lot, a lot of similarities there. Okay, so Chad, you have often commented on the weirdness of either my notes or the things that I notice in these various films that we, TV shows that we talk about. And 
uh, this uh-huh. is right up right up that alley. I actually wrote this as a note. I, I was watching Dennehy on screen, and I'm like, hmm, Dennehy's in reasonably good shape in this movie still. <laughs> he, he, he seemed to gain a little more weight in his later years, certainly in Tommy Boy, you know? But like, I was like, hmm, he's in pretty good shape in this movie, which is good because, you know, he's chasing John Rambo through the woods, you know? I thought that that could be a <laughs> <laughs> noted, <laughs> noted. Kev's weird this comments. Is the the just... opening to our Brian Dennehy fat shaming segment. <laughs> See, by the time he got to Cocoon, he was a total walrus. I mean, Cocoon could chew. The, the reason, Kev, that I so enjoy those random anecdotes is that... Yeah, lay it on me, dude. It's it's always something that's like... I suppose the recipe is the movie is the fucking worst or weirdest or most nonsensical movie ever. And then the thing that you get obsessed on is something that's like completely throwaway and yet you're convinced is the reason the movie fell over as being implausible. It's like bringing up a nugget about Demolition Man, and you're like, yeah, but this one thing was Sylvester Stallone doing this one weird, you know, he eats a rat burger and he drinks a beer. Where did the beer come from? It's like, that's not the most implausible part of the movie, bro. (laughs) And if you look, you can see there's a box of Kleenex in the background. (laughs) That that right there is so, that's so me. But it's like, you know... Dennis, he was fit enough that it's pretty plausible he would have been able to keep up jogging through the woods. So I buy it. Like, okay, dude. <laughs> Meanwhile, 75 National Guard soldiers show up eight minutes after a guy falls out of a helicopter. Like, completely plausible. Exactly. Exactly right. <laughs> In all, fa- in all fairness, Dennehy does look pretty good in this he movie. He looks fantastic now. in this movie. He looks really good. Yeah, man. he looks better than he did in FX, which came out right around this time. Let's see. Rambo was 82. FX was 86. So that's Everybody my lead-in for but that cares. weird comment. <laughs> that weird comment about Dennehy's <laughs> fitness. That is my lead-in to talking about the cast. Let's start with Dennehy. I know Jarhigo has a very interesting... <laughs> That was the tightest transition in show history. I hereby donate my segue to you because that was a legendary segue. <laughs> I'm trying to like recover and get away from that. And you're just, you're now you're pulling me back into the drain, dude. That's hey. great. Hey. Terrific. I'm in the drain with a red balloon. I love that we've, you know, given no commentary on like, you know, Dennehy's performance in this film. It's just that he's or, looking you know, trim. Any, anything, rele- <laughs> anything relevant. <laughs> hey, you look like, you know, you look like a 36 waist in that way. It was pretty good. He was uh, looking pretty trim. Uh, as always, folks, when we talk about the cast of these films, we're going to start with their fitness first. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't really have the fupa that he had later on in life. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so the cast Holy shit. the cast well yeah okay i love i love when you do this jack because then, then you start going then you start going okay okay the cast the cast and the second one of us says something you're gonna drop some other little uh comedy grenade in there that's gonna hey. derail us again then you're gonna start going dude can we get back on track come on <laughs> 
the show is broken. It's like when it's like when you're like, all right, shh, 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 be quiet, be quiet, shh. be quiet, and then everybody starts laughing again. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You'd- we have broken Dennehy. Now I am going to talk about how great Dennehy is. Jarhigo has a special sort of interesting little connection to Dennehy. A denecdote, if you will. Yes. Dennehy was born in Bridgeport, Connecticut, and he died in New Haven, Connecticut. I didn't know that he was a Connecticut boy, so that's interesting to me. Indeed he is. Yeah, I didn't realize that. I just thought, uh, based on your anecdote that you've shared with me in the past, that he just sort of had a home in the area there, you know? You want to recount that little little tale or... So yeah, there there used to be uh, Dennehy sightings at one of the local supermarkets, and uh, you know a, a friend recounted a tale to me that uh, he was uh, you know they used to have like the the like you used to be able to like grind your I guess maybe you still can I don't know but uh, you they used to have like a coffee grinding machine you know and uh, you know my buddy like like got up like grabbed a bag and like walked around the corner bag of beans and walked around the corner and there's Dennehy fucking grinding up coffee and like. He doesn't say anything, and then he just looks at him and goes, this is really good coffee. <laughs> it totally sounds like a Japanese coffee commercial, <laughs> in a way. I love it, man. I love uh, that story. So it's like, dude, I saw Dennehy at the supermarket again. Everybody's <laughs> talk to me. Everybody's talking about it. We drank the same beans. <laughs> we drank the same coffee. It's uh, really good coffee. Anyway, so Dennehy, um, now that we've done enough riffing on Dennehy. Um, Wait, if you still haven't talked about him in the movie, other than just to say he's. <laughs> other than that he likes coffee and he was a fat fuck. All right, I'm trying to get there. <laughs> Who better to play Teasel? Dennehy. I cannot imagine anybody else in this role. I'm sure there are other actors that could have played it, but he is perfect. He was pretty perfect. I can't think of another role where Dennehy is like quite such a prick. No. And he, he does a really good job. He's got such a prick face. But he, he does have kind of a, a pricky face. And he's, I don't know. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, though. He's got a prick face. <laughs> You prick face, fat bastard, uh, coffee drinking motherfucker. You could say that he is a prickish face in the sense of the character. Like you know, he he did a good job of playing a prick. I'll tell you that much. Well, yeah, he, he did does an excellent job of playing a prick. Yeah, yes, he did. And I I was really trying to make more of a commentary on the man himself and his skill as an actor. Like I love Brian Dennehy, and I was very sad when I found out that he passed away and. He's been in some really great films that I love, and I've enjoyed him in all of them. He has a very uh, particular voice and look to him. He's, he, you know, like in Tommy Boy, he was very jolly and kind of jovial and, and great in that way. But he, he can very quickly be sort of the – like Teasel, you know what I mean? And and that's yeah. what I like about him. He's He's really cool like that. And uh, I, I really enjoyed the 80s film FX, which stars Australian uh, homeboy Brian Brown and Dennehy. Yeah, Dennehy's great, man. He's got some range. Oh, seriously, man. I'm trying to keep my coffee in my mouth. 
No, I was, just, I was going to say something. Yeah, he's got a really great range of weights on the scale or something along those lines. <laughs> oh. <clears throat> but um, I didn't say that. What do you think about Dennehy, Chad, or did you leave? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm here. <laughs> the cast for me on this one is interesting because I recognize so many of the people but couldn't place them. And so I looked up Dennehy afterwards and saw the Tommy Boy thing, and I'm I'm aware of FX, like, but like so often with with movies, I'll recognize the person and then try and figure out what it is. And IMDb will always be like, "These are the movies they're most known for," and I'm like, "I don't know what any of those are." And it's always some like really weird movie that I'm like, "Oh yeah, he was such and such in you know this random obscure film," and I couldn't really place him other than Tommy Boy. So, um. I loved him. I thought he was fucking great. And I recognized the hell out of him. And I swear I've seen him in a million things, but I couldn't recognize almost any of the stuff in IMDb. He's, uh, well, he was a big theater actor too, man. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm. <laughs> okay. You know how up I am on my theater. <laughs> theater. Yeah. Yes, of course. Mm. All right, let's move away from Dennehy since uh, the only other thing I want – well, whatever. I'll, I'll say that for the second. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> move back to Dennehy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move away from Dennehy except for this one. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, the thing about Dennehy is there's a lot to cover there. There's a lot of Dennehy. Well, <laughs> a guy's been in a zillion productions, man. I mean, <laughs> stage and screen. Oh, I see what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna. Well, let's see. I okay. Here's something that I wanted to talk about about this movie. Um, don't have to be crazy long, but you know, I, I mentioned before how the action is really there to accentuate the emotional story that's going on, right? And one of the things I really enjoyed about the action and like the driving scenes in particular with the vehicles, like it's all very grounded in reality, you know, like I really enjoyed how it was, you know, when they're, when they're doing like the motorcycle chase and the various police car chases and all that sort of thing, it's, it's, it's all very real the way that it works. You know what I mean? In the sense that like when Rambo jumps off that little sort of rise off the road down into that farm field, you know, and, Dennehy's cruiser does the same thing. Like they show the cruiser getting sort of a little bent and crunched and like, you know, it, it reacts how it would react like a car of that size and bulk sort of going off a little bit of a jump like that and landing in like a muddy field. You know what I mean? And like later on when you see the state police cruiser chasing him in the truck, you know, he, he goes around a gravelly corner and he almost wipes out into the woods. You know, I, I really enjoyed that level of, sort of reality in this film like it wasn't pumped up yeah totally there, there was an interesting uh, bit that i learned about the scene where where uh, mr cheesel rolls his car you know when uh rambo is riding the bike up the wall or whatever or up the yeah, rocks yeah. Yeah, yeah it turns out that the stunt driver rolled the car by accident and the director was so stoked that he put put cheesel in the thing and shot it as if it happened in the film so it was like a, an unintentional uh moment which i thought was like exactly to your point of how realistic it was yeah very much so i really really enjoyed that about this film even in the beginning of the motorcycle chase when they get to that little bridge you know and sometimes like with a bridge over a river or train tracks you'll get that sort of little hump you know that you can get some kind of air if you were going fast enough and like the motorcycle goes flying over it and then the police cruiser does too and it's 
it's not so pumped up where they do like, you know, three different takes from three different angles. Like, you you know, you see the police car land and you can see that the police car is like physically damaged and stressed out from taking the jump. It's not like, you know, this huge overblown thing. And, and all of the chase scenes and the vehicle scenes are like that, which I really enjoyed, you know? Yeah, same, same. Uh, the stunt car jumping the train tracks got so much air on the first take that the stunt guy broke his back and like fell out of the car and Whoa. was unable to walk. Are you for real? Yeah, totally. And I think that the guy recovered, but they were like, okay, let's shoot it again with less uh, less cowbell. And then the second take was what they used in the film. But <laughs> the fucking poor bastard broke his back. And I like your use of the cowbell reference right there. That was nice. Thank you. Thank you. I kind of liked the ham-fistedness of of Rambo stealing an army truck and like driving at the back of an army train and there's like cop cars just like sirens blaring where he's got nowhere to go like it's not a high speed chase it's like a white bronco low speed chase <laughs> but it was it was quite cool wait what do you mean like what you're saying when he's got the M60 in the army truck yeah like the first half of of the chase the first half of him you know, being noticed in the army truck as he stays on the back of the of the army kind of convoy and doesn't really, like, get off that convoy for a while. So, like, I just thought it was kind of... I enjoyed it, even though it was a bit ham-fisted that he, like, just keeps going on the convoy for a while and the, the cops right behind him just... <laughs> He's just like, yeah, whatever. You know, cops behind me, but I'm just going to stay on the convoy for a while. And then eventually peels off, you know? You're saying it was like kind of the slow chase there, right? Yeah, yeah, for a bit there anyways. Like uh, on the beginning, yeah, on the beginning in the dirt road it was. And then when they get out onto the pavement, like that's when it gets pretty sick. And and again, very realistic. Yeah, they start smacking into each other. Exactly. So, you know, like a a police cruiser is never going to do anything against a truck like that. Like that truck is – those things are built like rocks, man. You know, and it's no surprise – you know, that the thing blasts through the, the state police barricade on the road. And again, you know, you, you see the realism of it as well. Like the truck does not just sort of smoothly jump the police cars. Like he plows through them and you can see a couple of points where the truck almost completely tips over on its side, you know, and I, I really enjoyed that level of like uh, reality, you know, realism. It was just fantastic. But I know what you mean about that that part, Chad. It was funny. Like it was like, you know, Kind of like the the steamroller thing in Austin Powers, you know. He's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. you know what I mean. Like, we're gonna get you. He's like, okay, I'm getting away. You know, like, mm, yeah, I'm gonna go six miles an hour. It's Ken. He's coming to kill me. Yeah, the slow chasing was definitely funny. What what I was what got me on the last watching was, you know, he goes in and he he like hijacks the driver with the knife and he's like you know drive and then he just just long enough to ask like what's in the back and then he tells the guy to jump out like <laughs> that's that, mm. that just kind of always struck me as funny it's like all right drive what's in the back okay i'm 60 good all right you gotta get out now <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's true man that, that was really weird like he should have just kept the guy driving the truck but or could have right cuz cuz he he doesn't get found out until the the cop like picks up the dude on the side of the road later yeah so <laughs> well it's not like the guy it's not like Robert it's Cathcart Robert A had a cell phone and he's like texting while Rambo is like holding the knife to his throat driving down the road right. you know what i mean right yeah <laughs> yeah that was a really that was odd 
close to another small anecdote that Kev gets hung up on in the movie being implausible. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right. You don't seem to realize you're dealing with an expert in movies, cast members, crew. <laughs> and that means, folks, that now it's time to talk about Colonel Trotman. Can I just open with I thought it was the same actor that played the same role in Commando because I was only using half my brain. But if it were the same actor from the same from the same role, I would have thought it was fantastic. Yes, that would have been fantastic. That would have been crazy, actually. But uh, I could see why you would make that connection. There's very similar. Because it's such a tropey character. Well, Commando is kind of more like Rambo. Uh, First Blood Part 2. Sure. Even though the two films have very little connection. And I mean, Krenna plays Troutman in every movie except I think only the first three, actually. Yeah. Well, it had to be. He passed passed away in 2003. R.I.P. You were awesome. I remember talking about an 80s Richie D-bag. He played a great one in um, Summer Rental with John Candy. It was a pretty funny movie. Don't know that one. Nobody does because it's very silent out there. In EVD land. Uh, I'm having a hard time believing that there's a candy movie I haven't seen, but that that might be one. Yeah. You know what else was great? Was that he was in Hot Shots Part 2. Yes, that was great. Because that's spoofing those movies, you know? they mm-hmm. Those movies are really good, man. I love how they got Martin Sheen for that one little cameo, and, and uh, I can't remember if it was on the, the first one or the second one. Yeah, 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 yeah. I loved you in Wall Street. That was great. Um <laughs> Anyway, so Krenna, uh, I don't, this guy's amazing. He he was like, he came in at the last minute too. And they got so many other people they were trying to get to play this role, like Lee Marvin and then Kirk Douglas as well. But yeah, ultimately they uh, gave it to Krenna and it ended up, ended up becoming like one of his like greatest roles and greatest performances. It's pretty legendary. Totally. So so yeah, Krenna and Troutman, I, I, I really enjoyed the, uh, like the rivalry between Troutman and Teasel. Totally. Uh, I always kind of thought it was funny that like, you know, like just some local sheriff or whatever is like, you know, we're presuming Troutman is there like sort of on a, well, I guess he's not there on official business, is he? He's just there like for his mm, own. Yeah, no, it's official. He says the official? army sent me down here because they thought I could help. Okay, right. So, you know, it's that typical like, you know. The local cop, like, you know, uh, you know, telling the FBI to get off his doorstep or, you know, that that kind of that kind of relationship going on between those two. And there's some there's some good stuff there. Some really good stuff there, like his sort of what I think as the most sort of famous speech from this movie is when Dennehy's just like, yeah, 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 whatever, you know, like who is who how bad how bad of a badass could this guy possibly be, you know, and. I mean, there's a lot of layers to Troutman. I mean, don't get me wrong. And there's a lot going on, a really great dynamic between him and Rambo from the get-go. But, you know, that speech is the best. Because, like, Teasel just, he doesn't want to let it go at all. And he's just like, yeah, yeah, well, we can do it. You know, he's kind of like that kid, like my youngest child. You know, he's like, I can do it. I can do it. You know, like, <laughs> he's kind of like that, you know. And then Troutman comes in with the... uh you don't seem to realize you're dealing with an expert <laughs> with guns, <laughs> knives, with his bare hands. 
a man who's been trained to ignore pain, to ignore weather, to live off the land, to eat things that would make a billy goat puke. In <laughs> Vietnam, his job was to dispose of enemy personnel, to kill, period. <laughs> Best Krenna ever. That and the body bags line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The body bags line, just like that was. I I made a mental note of that after I heard it. I was like, oh, that's a that's a keeper. He's so tropastic. Sort of getting away from like the kind of the comedy of that and that that little speech. Like he's, I mean, it, it it's not like it's like an overly complicated thing or like, like a complex relationship, but like you know, he's very much a father figure to Rambo, and I I just. Love the way he tries to manage Teasel and manage Rambo throughout the course, the the, the rest of the film. And, mm. you know, at the end, talking him down and just listening to Rambo break down, which is it's just such a powerful scene, man. And I, I just love, you know, it's it's really unexpected. And I actually forgot about it, you know, when Rambo kind of really, really just breaks down. And then he just he just reaches out for him, man, and just, like, puts his head on his chest. And, like, Troutman just slowly puts his other hand around and onto his back, you know? and Yeah, the way that it starts, at least, like, my perception of it was, like, you know, Mr. Cheezle's all pissed off that his power is being questioned in the beginning of the movie and and throughout, and then all of a sudden a bigger power comes in, like you said, Benny, with, like, the FBI kind of stuff, and it's almost like that whole tent scene is just him being like, no, I'm the power here, I'm the authority here, and this other guy's just like, dude, you don't know what you're fucking with. And the army told me to come in and sort this out. And then it culminates with what you said, Ben, with like the breakdown moment, but also like Rambo walks away and is like, you know, taken away to Fort Bragg to, you know, presumably get trained up and go and fucking do first blood part two. You know, I know that's not how it goes in terms of the plot, but that's kind of what's implied a bit. The bigger power comes in and says, yeah, don't worry. Don't worry about what happened in your small town. We're going to take this weapon that we built and, and take him away. Thanks very much. See ya. I thought that was interesting too. Like it starts with a, it starts with a, like a larger power comes in to kind of guide the situation to a good resolution. And then it ends with him as the father figure, you know, cradling Rambo who is broken down. So it's kind of an interesting kind of double barrel on that one. Very much so. And I have now come up with another uh, thing. So I'm going to posit this. If that is the case, would that make Troutman your grandfather? Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. Old Grampy Troutman. Grampy Troutman. I think he's a papa. Oh, papa, papa Troutman. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm down. Henceforth, Krenna will be known as papa Troutman. And that's why I went to military school is because my papa was a, a very decorated war veteran. So I went to military oh school. Oh, my God. Wow. And at that point, I moved away from Rambo, who 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 was still lost and became a trucker because he got some experience in the Army truck. So now he went off and became a trucker. So, <laughs> Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm with you, man. He is definitely Pampa Troutman, for sure. You, you, you just tied together those two movies, one totally bizarre with – arm wrestling and strange sexual things going on. And then this film, which is just excellent. And, and you very large bottles of cologne. Yeah, you just tied them together perfectly. Yeah, you're onto something there, man. He's definitely my pappy. <laughs> so Lincoln Hawk uh, was John Rambo, and he was yeah, Vietnam's name. And yeah. he lost everything. Hang on, stay with me here. 
he lost everything. And, you know, at the end of the movie, Troutman comes in to da 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 da, diffuses the situation. And then, you know, Rambo goes, changes his name, takes a new identity, gets a job yep. driving trucks. Yep, and yep. that's where all the weird tension of the military academy thing comes in. But he did that because your papa is really his grandfather, his real grandfather, or sort of surrogate grandfather. No, his father, if you his will. This no, no, the papa is Stallone's dad. Yeah, yeah. And Stallone is Michael's My dad. Mine. Da- My exactly. Dad. Sorry, yeah. your dad. Exactly. Yeah. That's good. There it is. There it's that's really tight. And it's the it you know the moment that he was driving the army truck was the first time he felt free ever since he got back from Nam. So that was kind of the, uh, mm. Mm. and he spent so many so many days and nights in the woods that he didn't smell good. So he needed to you know he needed to smell good. So he started trucking brute clone yeah. around. Totally, yeah. Ben. But that's where he got his first also, taste for driving the open road was in the truck. Go ahead, Ben. Sorry. Also, brute comes in a green bottle. Um, you know, when he started driving the truck, it, he realized it was much less conspicuous than hiking around from town to town and trying to find odd jobs, uh, and thus was able to escape from the reporters that had been chasing him around. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And ben just tied it. Ben just tied in banner. I love it. It's perfect. Yeah. Wow. That's it. That's it, guys. I- <laughs> yeah. It's it shows over. <laughs> uh, Talk about going out on a high note. That's it right there. So transitioning away from how awesome Richard Crenna as is Colonel Troutman, I wanted to just talk briefly touch on uh, the way this movie is shot. It's it, it's really well done, firstly, and we've talked about the score and and we've talked about the action sequences and the acting and all of that stuff, and and the cinematography of the film is really good too. And I really enjoyed actually how dark this movie was, or um, almost a better way to say it would be. Um, I think if I'm getting this right, the director's name is Ted Kocheff. He was not afraid to shoot in lower light, lower natural light. And it gave it a very real uh, feel to it. So like when the deputies really throughout the whole film, but especially in the beginning when they first go into the woods after them, you know, it's, it's very clearly that it's like, you know, five o'clock in the afternoon, right? Like it's, it's twilight time and the sun is going down down. and he doesn't use any annoying artificial lighting. It's tough to see them, but there's just enough light that you can see what everybody's doing. And I really applaud that he did that. And I thought it worked fantastically for the movie. And I wish more directors would be that bold. I mean, I'm sure there's other examples of it that I either don't know or I'm forgetting, but of of films being shot like that. But I I really enjoyed the way that he did this. And it really jumped out at me in this viewing. That's sort of the, as a side note, interesting thing about, I was telling my wife this last night about how, you know, you watch a movie like this when you're a kid and you're like, oh man, and it's action. It did, it did, it did. Now I'm watching it as a a grown man. It's like uh, just... totally different take on this movie, which I really enjoyed as well. And, you know, that, that bit about the cinematography, um, really jumped out at me and it's not just in the scene in the woods. It's, it's really pretty much throughout the whole film that he does that, you know, he really relies on the natural light that is happening at the time and he utilizes it beautifully, man. And I really just think it lends a level of authenticity to this film. And it really, for me, 
brought me into the story even more. Like you can really feel the dark and the cold and the wet and all the various different, you know, things that are going on because of him shooting it that way. Yeah, definitely. Like you said, shooting in the dark, it really brings an an extra edge to the like gorgeous Pacific Northwest landscape that they're shooting the movie in. Mm. And um you're right, it's it's beautifully shot and 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 being shot in those dark at those dark times of day, it's amazing how well he did considering like, you know, you would watch like an 80s TV show and they would just like they would do their night team nighttime shots during the day and then just like use a fucking filter to try and make it look like it's the sky is dark, you know? Exactly. I fucking hate that. It's one of my pet peeves in in cinema. Yeah, or when you like, you know, they you know, they have like giant artificial lighting for nighttime scenes and it's like you're supposed to like, you know, dismiss it as the moon or whatever. Mm. I mean, it's just yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not. That's a, that's a tough. I get that it's a complicated thing to do, but at the same time, like you said, people that take the time to do it, it's it's worth it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. When when they put the work in, it it's noticeable for sure. The the cave scene. I mean, the you know that whole thing is just literally shot by you know Sly's torch. Yeah, that's a good point. So that's that's pretty pretty amazing. It's <laughs> a really great point, dude. You're right. The rats, everything. Yeah, and I mean, Sly had to be doing it right as well, you know, and he was actually holding a thing that was on fucking fire. So it's like, I remember watching it and thinking like, wow, they must have had to do this a few times to like get it right, you know? Yeah, that's a big challenge right there for any actor. Who's rats. I also saw that um, Sly's claustrophobic, so that would have even been more difficult. I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't either. I just randomly saw it, so like. You know, kudos to the amount of effort that they put into all that stuff for sure. Yeah. All right. I'm just going to riff off of Ben here because I actually heard something that he said when you started talking, Chad. Goose full of rats. Ben, here's the tie-in. And Chad, you'll love this. That is where he got his love of rat burgers that he professes in Demolition Man. Absolutely. Because he was eating them when he ran out of boar meat in the caves bro that's it oh i love it holy shit i so love that our best theories and tie-ins ever i feel like i say that every week now your um your comment about the the dusk shooting brought to mind the helicopter sequence in the valley where Mm. if i remember correctly it was shot where the entire valley where Sly was at the bottom of was very much in the shadow of the cliff. And like, you know, if you're ever in a mountainous region and you're down in a valley, it's like really cold and like, yeah, like temperature cold and the, sh- and the shadows like really sets the tone for the environment. And rather than having that shot with the sun blazing down at high noon, the fact that they shot it with the, a lot of shadow, I, I think, very much lent itself to pulling you into the scene and pulling you into the the feel of the film. Definitely. Oh my god, yeah, man, absolutely. I suppose I hadn't paid a lot of attention to the cinematography really in terms of like studying it, but it's a good point that you make for sure. No, I, I and look, I didn't either, man. And it was just you know, as I was watching it yesterday, I I, I was switching back and forth between my phone and you know a larger TV that I have downstairs, and like. I just noticed it. I was just like, man, this is really great the way he used this darkness. You know, it wasn't like I had thought about it before, spent a lot of time, you know, sort of thinking about it. Just kind of jumped out of me on this this round of viewing. Mm, yeah, definitely. That's cool. 
All right, so let's talk about the end of the movie. Yeah, well, the third act anyways. I'd love to chime in with That's what uh, I mean. Yeah. For for me, I was on board right up until the gas station scene. Um, not to say the movie kind of went off the rails and I didn't like it anymore, but like I was super sympathetic to Stallone's character throughout and then like you know, he's trying not to kill them. You know, he confronts the deputies in the woods and says, I could have killed you all. Just fucking leave me alone. But then he steals the truck, drives it into a gas station, blows the gas station up, and then just starts, like, wreaking havoc on this town. And and for a minute, I was just kind of like, wow, all right, that really escalated quickly. And um, it came good in the end, but it was, you know, I was just like, oh, okay, this is where it goes to, like, normal action-y stuff, you know? You don't want to seem to accept the fact that you're dealing with an expert in guerrilla warfare. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> because that is what's happening right there. And I totally get what you're saying. However, he is calculatingly, methodically going through that town and doing what he's doing. I, I used to think the same thing. And when I watched it last night, Chad, I was like – no, he's not just running around blowing shit up. Yeah, yeah. He's like, takes out the power, goes to the gun shop, lights a huge fire as a distraction. But the first distraction he makes is the gas station. So he he runs – I mean like, look, if he wanted – if they wanted to make it like a stupid action movie spectacle, he could have gone there, taken the, the nozzle off the gas tank and then like lit it on fire and sprayed it like in uh, Point Zoolander. Break or something crazy <laughs> like that. What would you say? The Zoolander, the gasoline fight accident? Yeah, exactly. But instead, like, he dr- he drove over them because he wanted them to start spraying gas everywhere. And then he lit them on fire. And, you know, it's funny because, like, when I was watching this last night, I was like, oh, I love how this movie and, like, the vehicle work is so grounded in reality. And then everything started exploding. So there was a little bit of, like, unrealisticness to – you know, the gas station catches on fire. Then the truck blows up. Then all the cars in the gas station parking lot start blowing up. That was the only thing that I thought was a little bit unrealistic. But getting back on point, I believed that what he was doing going through the town was very methodically sort of taking control of the situation. Yeah. I think you mentioned earlier that he – was. I think it was you, Kev, and I think it was when we were talking about the fighting in the – basement of the cop station where he's just like he entered into soldier mode Mm. and i kind of feel like that's exactly what you're saying here is like he went he went from being in survival mode to being in like full-blown warrior mode and you know as you as you mentioned with the uh the quote he he's a guerrilla warrior expert you know guerrilla war expert in vietnam his job was to eliminate enemy personnel to kill period so yeah absolutely you know that that was that was that he was in that guerrilla warfare sort of combat mode. Well, maybe what I'm saying is that like it jarred me at first, but then as it kind of developed, I picked up on the like methodical distraction, you know, knock out the power kind of thing. Sort and of I was the nuances of what was yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. the nuances of what was going. On. No, but I mean, I, I'm. I'm saying I see what you're saying because I used to think the same thing as well. I was like, dude, this best fucking Rambo is blowing everything up, man. But it's like it's really not what's going on. Yeah. Really the whole thing is kind of a set piece to get Mr. Cheezel to shit himself on the roof. You know, he's just like – Totally. He, yeah. You kind of get that Teasel's like, nah, I'm going to fucking get this guy. I'm going to go up on the roof and then shit starts happening. He's like, I am way out of my depth. <laughs> 
Definitely, dude. And I didn't really get it. I mean, it's full disclosure. I didn't really get it until I got a visit from Papa who <laughs> said to me, you don't want to accept the fact that you're dealing with an expert with guns, <laughs> knives. You're going to have to pick which one of the 15 times you said that. It stays in the edit. <laughs> I think they should all stay in. <laughs> oh, no, they're all staying in. <laughs> Thank you. You've been outvoted. Yeah. Yeah. I got totally psyched out when he broke into the sporting goods store. What do you mean by that? I, I thought we were going to get like a commando style, like, you know. Oh, lock and load. Oh, like a gear yeah. up and like just full, like full on yeah. gear up. Yeah. I thought it would have at least grabbed a couple of guns. Yeah. It's like, oh, he's going to grab, at least he's going to grab some ammo or something. No, no, no. Or like the raw deal thing where he goes in and pushes the button and all of a sudden there's like rocket launchers and stuff. No, that was commando, bro. That was commando. Yeah. No, the, wasn't that the raw deal? Was it Raw Deal or? No, Raw Deal was the hanger bag that had all the guns in it instead of suits. And No, but uh, which is the one where he goes in with the girl? Oh, that is Commando. I'm sorry. I'm yeah, an idiot. I'm dead. You're so dead. I'm so dead. You're so, you died like three times right there because you were asking the wrong people what movie that's from. It was, the, it was the tuna roll thing. I was like, what was that movie? Commando. No, 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 no. What was the yeah. one? Commando. <laughs> no, this thing, no, the one when he had those tuna roll things. What was the one with that? the girl? Which, which movie what was that? What are those things called? Was that the, what was the one with the little girl and the deer? Commando. No. <laughs> no, you know, the one where he goes into the army surplus store with the woman and he presses the button. Commando. Yeah. yeah. No, tuna rolls. <laughs> uh, see, I thought you were saying you got psyched out of the of that scene because you you weren't digging it, but you wanted them to fully lock and load, huh? I just couldn't remember what it had. You know, it was clear that I hadn't seen it in very many years. So like just when he breaks in, I'm like, Oh shit, he's gonna, he's gonna do it. He's gonna, there's going to be a gear up scene. It's going to be amazing. And then it didn't, it didn't happen. Right. <laughs> he just blows it up. <laughs> it's just another distraction. I mean, to be fair, he's not going to top the M60. That was pretty legit. No, I mean, and that, that is the Rambo signature thing, isn't it? Is the, you know, one handing an M60. Yeah, which is really hard to do. Mere mortals couldn't do it's that. Probably man. impossible to do. It, it. probably is legit impossible. <laughs> yeah. Well, dude, that gun is like I've held a handgun and I've held a semi-automatic rifle, and I could not. Fa- and I was much younger when I did it. I could not fathom how people could hold a gun up for any length of time and shoot accurately. You know. Yeah. Well, you know the. The signature John Rambo move is to hold the M60 in in your right hand and kind of tuck it under your your elbow, and then you you feed the the chain ammunition in with your left hand. Totally, you got it all wrapped around your body in such a way that you know you're able to do that. I don't I don't know how that works, but hmm, indeed. You know what what, what would Troutman say? <laughs> you don't seem to want to accept the fact that you're dealing with an expert. With guns, with oh, sorry, no, I screwed it up. <laughs> Jesus, close enough. <laughs> You're dealing with an expert in guerrilla warfare, a man who's the best with guns, with knives, with his bare hands. I want to like go back and listen to all of the instances to see if it started off sounding like Kirk from Star Trek or whether it's just where we've ended up. But I could do, I can do a bad Kirk doing the same thing, like a hey, terrible man, Kirk imprint. Why not have the twentieth time that you say it in the show be Kirk? You know. Why not? You don't seem to want to accept the fact that you're dealing with an expert in guerrilla warfare <laughs> with a man who's the best with guns, with knives, with phasers, with his bare hands, <laughs> a man who's been trained to ignore pain 
to ignore weather, to live off the land, to eat things that would make a billy goat puke. In <laughs> Vietnam, his <laughs> in Vietnam, his job was to dispose of enemy personnel, to kill. Period. That's it. Okay, now, <laughs> thank, now thank you. we may as well add walk in. Yeah, oh, let's do it. Let's ben, do it. you do it. <laughs> you don't seem to understand. You're dealing with an expert. <laughs> Guns, <laughs> knives. This guy, he does it all. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> He'll eat stuff that makes a billy go puke. <laughs> Oh, my Jesus. What about Michael Caine? Should we throw Michael Caine in there? <laughs> Why not? You don't seem to want to accept the fact you're dealing with an expert. <laughs> in guerrilla warfare. <laughs> I can't tell if you're laughing because you think it's good or terrible. No, it's both terrific. At the same time. Yeah. All of it. All of the with above. guns, with knives, with bloody knives, with his bare hands. <laughs> What's the line that he's known for with, like, the sad Alfred line? <laughs> you know what? I, Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon do this. Oh, yeah. It's so good. Michael Caine and this Batman thing uh, repeatedly in the various trip, you know, the trip and the trip to Italy and the trip to Spain. It's so goddamn funny, man. But they they talk about that where that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, I, I can't I can't do it, Master Wayne. I've already buried too many Batmans. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's me doing their impression. So. Oh, it's so good. Oh. So you could you could read it in low. You could do it in low Michael Caine. Like that would be the other way. You don't seem to want to accept the fact that you're dealing with an expert in guerrilla warfare <laughs> with a man who's the best in Vietnam. His job was to dispose of enemy personnel, Mr. Wayne, to kill, period. <laughs> Thought this Christ. whole sequence was just an excuse to get Batman into the show. Mm. It was, right. And by doing so, killing Jarhigo. Yep. You know what would be interesting, too, is to take – Rambo and Troutman or Krenna and Stallone and reverse their lines. So if you had Krenna as Rambo and Rambo (laughs) and Sly (laughs) as Troutman and see how that would be. You know what I mean? Like Mm. you you don't want to seem to accept the fact that you're dealing with an expert in guerrilla warfare with a man who's the best. It should be the really gentle trucker. Yes, you're right. This is the truckers well, sleep in the trucks. Well, you see, Mike. Well, you see, Mike. What you don't seem to understand here is you're dealing with an expert. <laughs> Your pappy once told me. <laughs> so you great. know, you know, your papa always said. <laughs> old, 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 old pap, old papa Troutman. Jesus Christ. Uh, good times. All right. That was a lot of fun. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Climax of the film. Chad, are you happy with the gas station scene coverage? Yeah, that we yeah. Did? I think that right. was a good... All I wanted to bring up was the tone change, and I think you, you made a strong sure. argument about him being an expert. I'm now familiar with his expertise. 
You know, the only thing that I got to, the only thing I got to, I just want to add to that comment you just made is that you don't seem to want to accept the fact that you're dealing with an expert in guerrilla warfare. (laughs) Exactly. Okay, I'm done. That's the last time, I swear. I'm pretty sure. Doubt it. Dude, your your buddy that loves that is going to be in heaven. (laughs) All right, so. Now I'll cut all that out. Oh, my God. Anyway, do you want to talk about the ending of the film and then we'll just wrap the whole thing up? Yeah, man. The end's a monologue-y breakdown scene. It's pretty uh, pretty important and pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, you know, Troutman coming in and, and kind of trying to, to talk Rambo down and, you know, just that whole monologue that Sly does um, it was really – it really hit me in the feels on this watching. Like, it really got me. and um, Definitely. Big time. I thought Sly was really good. It's almost like it's it's almost hard to understand everything that he's saying when he really breaks down. And it's like, no, that's how it would be. You know, like that's how it is. When somebody's that upset, you know, you can't understand everything that they're saying. And, and um, there's something really genuine there. And, you know, we kind of touched on it before how, you know, he, he grabs Troutman and pulls him to him it's not like troutman has like a moment where he's like oh i gotta give him a hug now it's like he he grabs troutman and pulls him to him and and you know it's almost like troutman is like it's like he's afraid of him a little bit you know what i mean like he doesn't know what's going to happen next or something mm. along those lines interesting yeah but but so, um, so you're, you're you're sort of positing that you think troutman is there obviously to try to help him and to talk him down but he really doesn't know what rambo is going to do next it might be it might be that. I think I that's. I think that's pretty sweet. Yeah, yeah, I could totally see that too. The the all the funny bits aside, the cutting from Stallone to Troutman as Troutman kind of gets the lip quiver and starts to kind of tear up was quite like well, it was really quite well acted by both actors in that scene too. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Like I this this scene really touched me, and it really just you you watch this scene. It's it's probably the most dialogue that Rambo has together in the whole film and it's so good and it really shows what an incredible uh creative talent sylvester stallone is because that is a excellent piece of acting right there and you know we've done plenty of stallone movies i kind of said this before i'm going to say it again like we've done plenty of stallone movies and there's definitely some weird ones in there. There's some funnier ones in there. We've, we've made fun of him, you know, a little bit, a lot bit, plenty of, whatever. But I want everybody to understand that he is awesome and totally legit. And this scene is proof of that, man, as, as is, you know, other bits of work that he's done. But this in particular is just, it's brilliant, man. He really, really does a perfect job of, I mean, I'm not a vet, so I can't comment on that. But when he starts talking about his friend and the shine box and that whole thing, like I was there, man, I was, I was him. I was like experiencing it, man, you know, like listening to him, like picturing in my head, what he was saying and his friend and that kind of loss and trying to, you know, like literally put him back together. Cause it's so shocking, you know, like it, it yeah. really, really touched me deeply. And, and, his the quality of his performance just brought me there. You know, it was incredible. The comment you made about the the dialogue being the most dialogue in the film really brings me back to the the Howard Stern interview, where if he was just babbling throughout the whole movie, it wouldn't probably have landed as well now in the climax of the film. 
and the cutting of all of his dialogue throughout the film, it, it means that it can bubble up and boil over in this scene. And it really like adds even more gravity to the scene. Definitely, dude. Perfectly said, Chad. So it's just a good creative decision even outside of the acting, you know, like getting him to trim his dialogue back. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm not sure if you guys saw any of these random nuggets floating around the interwebs, but um, evidently the shine box story was a story that a vet told Sly in his prep for the film. So wow. whether it's word for word or not, I don't know, but it sounds like it might have been a quite a true anecdote. Yeah, that 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 story just it it made me want to cry, man. It was just so powerful, man. So, are you guys familiar with the the original ending of this? Do you get is that a I yeah I I know that there was a suicide ending that was closer to the book, and then there was also a humorous ending that they also filmed. I actually have the special edition DVD, and I I haven't watched it. I also have a copy of this on Dig. Yeah, right. I saw something that was uh, saying that they shot the original ending to the movie, which was the suicide ending, which is he reaches out to, uh, what's the Colonel dude's name? What's my papa's name? Troutman. Troutman. So he, he reaches out to Troutman, whether or not it's the same moment, but he reaches out to take Troutman's hand and he ends up pulling the trigger that Troutman is holding a gun. So like Troutman's going to kill him and he can't bring himself to kill Rambo and Rambo reaches out and kind of pulls the trigger for him and commits suicide. And that was the original ending. That was the way the movie was always going to end. And then off the cuff, as they were set up and in between takes, they were like, hey, let's shoot a different ending. And the crew and the producers were super pissed off. And they were like, you can't fucking do this. You're over budget. And he's just like, fuck you. We're, we're doing this and shot the ending that was used in the film like immediately afterwards. And like it was a one, I don't think it was a one shot take, but they did the whole thing where he like walks out and gets in the truck and drives off or whatever with. And so I just thought it was quite cool that, you know, he and Sly and whoever else like were like, hey, let's try something different here and had some fight, had some pushback from the producers. But then it ended up, well, maybe not being super realistic in the sense that the guy terrorizes the town and walks away. Like for the character, it was, it was an interesting decision. Yes. Very much so. That's that's really cool, man. Mm. Yeah, I don't. Know. I I would. I thought you guys would have stumbled across the same stuff, but it was interesting. No, I didn't. I didn't. I I did some reading, but it was really. I I didn't. I didn't dig too deep. Word. Um, Nuggets deaths ratings. Nuggets deaths ratings. N D R. Uh, you guys got nuggets? I do. I got two. You have my blessing. Of course, they are actor related. No shocker there. <laughs> no kidding. Uh, I actually have three. Um, first is Stallone and Dennehy were in another movie together in the 70s called Fist, which I haven't seen. Cool. Same. And that the Lieutenant um, Clinton Morgan, the leader of the National Guard. Mm-hmm. I actually have four. Sorry. Lieutenant Clinton Morgan was played by Patrick Stack who is the brother of Timothy Stack, who is more well-known. And you would probably know him from one of two places, either Son of the Beach, which was that Howard Stern Baywatch ripoff okay. like from back in like early 2000s. And also in the 90s, he was the dad on Parker Lewis Can't Lose. Okay. <laughs> which I love. I don't know about you guys, but like I loved Parker Lewis. I thought that was an awesome show. <laughs> Okay. Both of those references are lost on me. So this guy's brother was in a show I really liked. All right, never mind. You all suck. <laughs> Folks at home, you'll be my friends now. Just because I don't know it doesn't matter. You know, somebody See, out there does. Okay, there you go, Chad. Ben still wants to be my friend. 
Dude, a Parker Lewis can't lose fan just screamed while driving down the road in their truck, spritzing brood all over the place. Yeah, well, Parker Lewis also had Abraham Ben Ruby. He's another great actor in it. Anyway. <laughs> Parker Lewis death, everybody. Whatever. You think it's so weird. Chad, I know you think it's funny and weird, but what you don't realize is that you're dealing with an expert in films, <laughs> cast members, oh, you promised. cinematography. You promised you wouldn't do it again. All right. So also, um, Brian Dennehy has a daughter named Elizabeth Dennehy, who is a accomplished actress actress in her own right, and she has been in a number of nerdtastically nerdy things that we love, like Total Recall and Ooh. The Next Generation and Quantum Leap and all kinds of stuff. And if you saw her, you would probably recognize her. At any rate, I thought that was kind of interesting. Also, as a like guardsman number eight <laughs> is Bruce Greenwood, okay, in one of his early f- films, pieces of work rather. You would know Bruce Greenwood as one of the first big things he did was The Nowhere Man back in the 90s. I don't know if you caught that. That was a really good series and then it got canceled. And then he also was um, – he played Admiral Pike in the Star Trek reboot 2009. Da-da-da-da-da. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know you know what's funny here is that like you're, you're you're laughing at me and i'm sitting here like you guys are not nerds you should know that if you don't know who bruce greenwood is you should be dead oh that's so good well apparently that's uh second death for me then <laughs> no i really nuggets with kev i like how you're like slowly invading the nugget section you're like i got 17 uh let's see yeah <laughs> I did well, you know. I asked your permission at the beginning of the episode. Yeah, yeah fair speak, enough. And you granted me permission, so there you go. All right, I'm kidding. So anyway, you guys aren't dead. I still like you. I'll still do the show. Okay, you should still know who Bruce Greenwood is. Okay, I'll look him up. <laughs> yeah, um, sure you won't. <laughs> I won't. All right, I got two nuggets. So nugget number one on the cutting room floor of this three and a half hour cut movie was a scene where Rambo flashes back to him hooking up with a Vietnamese prostitute in Vietnam. And then it's in the cave sequence, so he's in the caves. He has a flashback to him hooking up at a bar in Vietnam with his buddies and hooks up with a Vietnamese prostitute and then flashes back to him crying in the cave. And that prostitute was played by none other than Miao Yin from Big Trouble in Little China, Susie Pai. Oh, my God, dude. That is sick. And in the special edition DVD, you can actually watch that deleted scene with Susie Pye. So I thought you guys would like that. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that's how you do a nugget. That right there. <laughs> that's how you do a nugget. Is how you nugget. I love how when I do it, I get like freaking stabbed and thrown off the top of the building. <laughs> and then Chad does the same thing. And everybody's like, oh my God, you're amazing. Yeah. Well, I am amazing. <laughs> um, my other nugget's a bit of a weird one. And you guys might have known this, but I didn't know this. Did you guys know that Stallone's um, has partial face paralysis? No. So evidently, there was complications when he was being born, and the doctor used forceps, and it severed a nerve in the lower left side of his face, and parts of his lip, tongue, and chin are paralyzed, and that's why he has his particular drawl and facial features. And I thought that was fascinating. What? And totally wow. changed my perspective of the dude. Wow. Jesus, man. Wow. I did not know that. Now I kind of feel like a dick for making fun of him, but hey. Uh, I kind of feel like a uh, – yeah, I don't, I don't know if I could do any more sly impersonations. I, I totally feel like a dick now. Mm. Me too. 
But it's, you know, it's like a, uh, it's what's helped make him into the star that he is. So I'm sure he's fine with it, it, you know? Well, you know what? I, I want to say that, like, while I do feel bad, at the same time, like, it makes him very unique. Like, it's 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 definitely a trait of his character that um it definitely jumps out at you. And I don't mean that in a bad way at all. Like, yeah, it's just kind of like a s- sort of signature thing that's part of him, man, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, to be fair, it's a, you know, the sly impersonations are are done with absolute love, you know, it's, Oh my God, totally. It's uh you know, what do they say? Imitation is the highest praise and that's, you know, totally. that is true in this case. So I robot, but it definitely fell into the nugget camp. So I, I, I thought it was an interesting little tidbit. Yeah. Ben, I robot, the Will Smith movie. Yes. The guy that played the villain. That's Bruce Greenwood. <laughs> oh i totally get it now Kev. Oh, thank you <laughs> oh, what a fucking nugget that, oh thank you have i thanked you for that no i'm like i'm coming back uh, to resell the, uh, <laughs> resell the nugget nuggets get your new you use nuggets here get your nuggets here get your nuggets here we got old ones new ones fresh ones stale ones Got really fucking boring ones. This is a oh my god, wow! All right, uh, maybe maybe try it with uh, <laughs> hot mustard this time. No, you don't like the hot mustard. What about uh, what about barbecue sauce? Barbecue sauce? You want to try it with that Szechuan <laughs> sauce? <laughs> uh, this is a it's a happy meal. It's supposed to be a happy meal, but you know, Chad Chad's starting a nugget war. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I just wanted to be left alone, man, in my nugget section, but here you are. Why are you pushing me? Why are you pushing me? Why are you pushing me? I'm an unwelcome intruder. That's what I am. Yep. All right, deaths. Uh, Kev, you had a few of them written down, I believe. Yeah, I do. Um, National Treasure, Book of Secrets. He played the, he played the president. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> Bruce Greenwood, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, our good friend, Bruce Greenwood. Friend of the show, Bruce Greenwood. Friend of the show. It's Vin Diesel, Carl Urban, and Bruce Greenwood. That's it. And Paul Rudd. Um, Paul Rudd, yes. And Paul Rudd. And, uh, okay, so firstly, I fell out of the chopper in the first 10 seconds of the show. That's mm. fastest death ever. Did indeed. <laughs> uh, then Chad... <laughs> Chad died on one of the Denny fat jokes. <laughs> and I don't remember which one. Uh, uh, I yeah. Came, I think he came in, kind of came in late there with another one. Okay. And then you had the awful triple commando death. Yeah, that was pretty good. That was a really great death. That was that was egregious. Yep. Egregious. Because he kept trying to sell us on the fact. Belligerently plowed through. It's like, no, 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 We no, did no. not know what film that was from. Hey, happens. And then, you kept, and then you kept coming back for more. That was the best part. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Star Trek. He played uh, Admiral Pike. Did you see? <laughs> you said that you already. Did you see that? Did you see the Star Trek movies? <laughs> uh, Benny, you died. Uh, you were right. murdered. With the Batman Michael Caine uh, sequence, Michael Caine Alfred That's sequence, true. yeah, <clears throat> That's true. I think I had another one in there too, though. Did you? Yeah, and I also had an ejection death as well. I don't. I seem to remember, but I didn't write it down. Yes, 
Yep. Ratings. Yeah, let's rate it, man. Algorithm, why don't you go first this time? Oh, yeah. All right. The movie was a good movie. I um I enjoyed it. And since, you know, it actually is relatively challenging to get into the good movie category, it's quite an achievement. Um, so I didn't really expect it to do that well. Uh, I didn't expect it to do horribly, but I didn't expect it to do that well. Some of the contemporaries uh, that I think are notable is I ended up sticking it right in between Good Morning Vietnam and the Memphis Bell. So similar, um, not Memphis Bell, but like kind of warish movies. Mm, I like Memphis Bell. That was a good movie. And I think the uh, the Shine Box um, anecdote in the end really lines up well with Good Morning Vietnam with his buddy in that movie. So um, it's a flat five, like it just sneaks into good movie territory, but it's got good company. It's uh, a couple other movies of the era in that court in that sort of. Um, grouping are like the running man and bullet so it's in good company um it does get beaten by demolition man but as i mentioned in that movie it's all a nostalgia play so demolition man pips it with a 5.1 um but uh, it was quite good wow interesting very interesting breakdown there excellent it beats cobra but it doesn't beat demolition man it should definitely be Cobra. I think it should be Defolition, Demolition Man, but I don't understand the laws of physics that govern ah. your algorithm. Mm. It's a nostalgia play. It's a nostalgia play. Ah, okay. And it fits so perfectly in between Good Morning Vietnam and Memphis <laughs> Bell that it just, you know, it made sense. <laughs> right on. All right. Hey, that's why we call you Algorithm Man. To be fair, you did uh, tie it in with the Rap Burger thing, so. That's true, yeah. I did. This You're is right. true. That's true. I thought that was solid. Anyway. Um, Kev, I'm going to need your help for my Ooh. rating. Okay. What help would you need? Because we never know how the uh, what's going to happen when the improbability drive fires up. How many times do you think uh, how many times do you think that Stallone's iconic knife came out in the movie? Oof. Like how many scenes was it involved in, you know? I can I can think of him like, you know, taking taking it apart to use the compass a couple times, mm-hmm. you know, open it up to pull out the match, you know, there was the there was the whole scene where Dennehy pulls it out, concealed weapon, you know. So there's how many? How many do you think? I mean, we don't have to be perfectly accurate here. I'm just just spitballing. Uh, I'm gonna say this is like how many jelly beans are in the jar, right? I'm gonna say twenty two. Twenty two. Yeah, it's my favorite number, and I think it's really somewhere between twenty and twenty five. So I'm gonna say twenty two. Okay, cool. Then uh, I would say that uh, this flick gets nineteen out of twenty two knife scenes. I love that, dude. Love that. I love it. Yeah. I, as usual, am with Jarhigo in uh, this movie. Is, it's a 9.3. Like, it, it's just, it's so good. And I loved it when I was a kid for different reasons. Now I love it even more as an adult for different reasons. And I think it's fantastic. I think it really showcases what an incredible creative talent Stallone is uh, as an actor and really a writer too. And the fact that he came up with that idea to cut all his own dialogue out to make the movie amazing, just is excellent. The score is excellent. Like I said, the cinematography, the direction, Dennehy, Krenna, what is not to like? This is an excellent, excellent movie. And so I'm giving it a 9.3. It's high, high praise. Don't forget Bruce Greenwood. Oh, sorry. And I don't know if anybody, uh, folks at home, if you're out there, you might have seen iRobot, Bruce Greenwood, or maybe Star Captain Trek. Captain Pike. Nowhere Man. This movie would have been a flat nine, but with him in it, it's a nine nine point six or whatever. You Son of it. the Beach. Exactly. <laughs> Bruce Greenwood as Guardsman number eight uh, really elevated this movie to the 9.3. 
They yep. couldn't have done it without him. I mean, nah, no, really, clearly, exactly, man, exactly. This, this, I've already buried too many Batman's. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! All right, so my favorite part of the show, one of them anyway, is algorithm. What are we doing next week? We don't even know, do we? No, we do. Uh, listener requested. Robot jocks, which I was like, what the fuck is robot jocks? And then I looked it up and yeah. was like, this was one of my favorite movies when I was 11. Yes, I am on board. There you go. And Ben and I haven't seen it, so it's exciting. Mm-hmm. I am pretty pumped. I'm definitely pumped about robot jocks, so stay tuned for that next week, folks. All right, folks, that's going to wrap it up for this one. Thanks for tuning in, and see you later. Thanks. See ya. Nice job, see Chad. That wasn't so bad. Bruce Greenwood. And that's going to wrap it up for this week's episode. Folks, thank you so much for tuning in. It means the world to me and Chad and Ben. Folks, if you want to support the show further, you can always rate us and review us on iTunes, Podcast Republic, Stitcher, or wherever Brian Dennehy gets his muffin tops. And you can also tell somebody to check out the show. Word of mouth is incredibly powerful and incredibly important. So please get out there and start talking about the show. We're growing an audience and we need your help. You can find the show notes for today's episode in your podcast app O choice or in our website, ebd.fm forward slash episodes forward slash 59. You can ask us questions using our email contact at ebd.fm or on Twitter at AskEBD. You can find me at Mulverine on Twitter. You can find Ben at Jarhigo on Twitter and you can find Chad at Chad Normal on Twitter. You can find us at most social medias with the handle at EBD Podcast. And that's about it. Thanks for joining us as usual and we'll see you next time.